Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. We're talking with Bob Kappelman. Uh, Bob Kappelman is a scientist who knows an awful lot about climate change and, uh, and the like. Uh, and so we're discussing the resolution presented to Congress uh, on the Green New Deal. Uh, we've talked about the fact that we're in the whereas sections. We're still in the whereas sections because there are a lot of inaccuracies there. Uh, we've talked about how the statement by the UN that human activity is the dominant cause uh, of observed climate change over the past century that is, that is based on models, computer models, not based on uh, geology or science or pretty much anything else. So let's continue. We're in the middle of the, uh, the resolution, the whereas section. What are some of the other errors that we can find? Well, I, I think, you know, just the clarification that the sea level has been rising, you know, for 25,000 years. I think the impression is given that all this sea level rise, you know, is, is human caused. Um, but again, we have the geologic evidence of Florida, for instance, being 400 miles wide 10,000 years ago. It's down to a mere 150 miles wide now. Obviously, the ocean has risen and continues uh, to rise. So that impression, uh, also another impression that's given is that everything is a net loser, uh, you know, with climate change. But as you mentioned, uh, Europe, uh, the growing seasons during the Renaissance helped with the Renaissance, uh, for instance. So actually, if the models are correct, there will be winners and losers with the continued climate change. Now, we know if we keep warming, uh, you know, this is going to happen, whether it's man causing it or not. But the winners tend to be in the northern hemisphere. The losers tend to be in the southern hemisphere. So when people start taking a look at, you know, where natural climate change is going to take us, and if it's accelerated by human activity – uh, you're going to end up having people saying, well, wait a minute. Uh, my life in Siberia is going to get much, much better. Uh, my life in uh, Australia, not so much. So there's going to be some winners and losers. And this, the impression is given, you know, every, everyone loses. Uh, they make a claim 
about um, the two degrees Celsius and what it will cause. And they're basically saying uh, this will cause mass migration, uh, where to where, but is there any evidence that that's going to actually happen? But they make that claim above two degrees Celsius. I did some research uh, a couple years ago because the two degree was out there. And the best we could find out is someone needed a number and grabbed a number. There's no scientific basis that two degrees Celsius uh, is a magic, a magic number, that if we can stay below that, we get rid of the worst case you know, climate change activity. Uh, but now that number is not two anymore. It's dropped down to 1.5 if we can get below 1.5. Where did that number come from? Again, it was a number that was made up. They needed a number. It does correspond with the low level of the human impact climate sensitivity number, which the low number um, is about 1.5. The anthropogenic component of that's about a half a degree because we know the natural rate of warming is about one degree. So, um, Well, let me ask you, I mean, yeah. this number of two, uh, at 20,000 years ago when there was an ice age, here, what was the what is the temperature rise from then till now? It must have been more than two degrees Celsius. You know the actual number I've seen anywhere from uh, six seven degrees. It's not a radically large number that you would would think. But greater than two. Greater than two, I would say almost three times as great as two. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Uh, uh, they make a claim that the wildfires are going to go, you know, increase. Uh, there's going to be about 350 million people that are going to have deadly heat stress. Uh, uh, the damage predicted to uh, property is in the range of a quadrillion uh, dollars in just the U.S. alone. And this is mainly, you know, inundating the, uh, the shoreline, uh, you know, of the, of the country. And again, there is no background for these numbers. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen a regulatory impact analysis that gives the credibility uh, to these numbers. And doubtfully, they're just pulled out of whole cloth. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. We'll be right back after this quick break. You know, so let's talk about those numbers. I, the mass migration. So first of all, we've got a, a 1.5 degrees Celsius number that is basically pulled out of thin air. We have a claim of mass migration, which, like you said, from where to where. I mean, yes, people move all the time. I mean, if your area is flooded or flooding, at some point you say, I'm not going to rebuild my house here. I'm going to move to higher ground. I mean... These these things happen naturally. The amount of uh, economic damage is a total guess. And again, what, why would they? What's a, the the deal with wildfires? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, wildfires, uh, especially the ones we're seeing out west, are due to extremely poor and inadequate forest management 
by a U.S. Forest Service that has God's idea how to take care of the forest and has owns far too much land to be able to take care of it. So that's just another thing that they've just sort of added on for no reason. Yeah, and that's, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of the forest fires are sort of self-inflicted because about 30 years ago there was this idea that if you let the trees you just die and fall in the forest and they would rot and help be part of the whole natural cycle. But the other component was there was no controlled burning either, which Mother Nature loves controlled burning. And basically you get rid of all the fuel on the floor of the forest and you don't have these major crown fires that jump from tree to tree. So, But again, um, these numbers, you can create what number you want to. If you take the most extreme uh, number out of the uh, models and then say, now I'm assuming that the entire coastline is wiped out and how much is the value of all that property along the coastline, uh, conceivably you could come up with a quadrillion dollars. But the, the probability of that happening, probably pretty minor, but in a resolution, it, it sure looks good because that's uh, number F out of uh, seg- Section 3 that says the risk of damage of a quadrillion dollars of public infrastructure and coastal real estate in the United States. And after you have all these resolutions of what could happen, uh, they come to the conclusion that they can stop this by reducing greenhouse gases by 40 to 60 percent by 2030 and then net global emissions of zero in 2050. Now, that, uh, I think uh, Speaker Pelosi said, that was very aspirational and dreamlike. I'm not quoting her exactly, but... uh, She's, she's not a dumb lady. She's a smart lady, uh, does things that I don't particularly think is, are good for the country. But I think even she recognizes that this is beyond reality. But, but let's look at a couple of the things. Uh, a lot of the people, the believers in this, want to go back to the um, Paris Accord, which basically is saying – uh, we're going to do certain things by 2030. We're going to be to do certain things by 2050. But the big problem with that was the developing countries did not have to buy in and start doing anything significant until 2035. Well, also, didn't Russia? Russia was exempt. India was exempt. Well, exactly. The developing countries, and now Russia, in one standpoint is very industrialized. I mean, they make some good military weapons and what have you. They're industrialized. China, being a developing country when you're the second largest economy in the world, uh, is is somewhat ludicrous. I think the President Trump is trying to to deal with that right now. But one of the, uh, in the Rezos uh, early on, it talks about the United States being 20% of the greenhouse gases, and therefore we must do more. 
than other countries. But that's a 2014 number. This is a 2019 resolution. The world has changed. Uh, by 2016, we're down to less than 15%. You know, China is uh, way up, uh, you know, in the high 20s, almost twice. They put out 10 billion uh, tons of carbon dioxide. We put out 5 billion. They're twice what we put out, yet they're exempt. Uh, they have basically said, and the Indians have said the same thing. The Russians have kind of said, me too. Uh, look, when we get our economy is successful, when our people have refrigerators, when our people have cars, when we, then we're ready to go. We think by 2030, we'll start to level off our CO2. Uh, logic tells you we're not going to get to zero by 2050. And therefore, uh, the whole idea that you can do this with a literally draconian uh, fist on the economy, because that's what you're talking about doing. You're going to change all the industry. You're going to change the method of producing energy. You're going to do it in a very short period of time which means a lot of the investments you have today, uh, basically you have to walk away from them. And, and this is not fully appreciated. The person that listens to this initially says, you know, this really sounds good that we're going to get all this stuff. Well, one, you're not going to get it. And two, it's going to cost you more than you think. You've got your new car. Your new car may be illegal. You may not have it paid for yet but you're going to have to switch to an electric car. We're back again with uh, Bob Kappelman, uh, former director of legislative and regulatory affairs at the Jacksonville Electric Authority. He's got a BS in degree in science, bachelor of science degree uh, from Stetson University, a master's degree in environmental engineering from the University of Florida, specialist in atmospheric photochemistry, a registered professional engineer, and we're talking about the, the Green New Deal resolution. One of the things that, uh, well, one of the things that strikes me, we were talking about, uh, we were talking about uh, the output of these various countries, the Paris Accords, and you provided some information which I thought was really kind of interesting, and that was these numbers for emissions, uh, uh, carbon emissions per $1,000 of GDP, which was kind of, I know this is, these are older data from 2014, but the United States had 324 uh, kilograms of emissions per $1,000 of GDP. China had $1,235, and India had $1,051, and Russia had almost $1,000, of kilo, a thousand kilograms, I should say, of emissions per thousand dollars of GDP. So on that scale alone, we're we're not really even in the top one, two, or three. Well, the number, a lot of it has to do with what products you're you're putting out, and also the efficiency of your electric system, and and so on. And uh, the Chinese uh, have older generating plants and so on that they continue to run. Uh, and when they get out of their economic life, they replace them with state-of-the-art 
power plants, which they use a lot of the U.S. technology that we're not able to use here. Uh, one thing very interesting, since I worked on some of the prototype uh, generation, uh, fluidized bed generation on you know, large scale, and also uh, the, uh, the supercritical, advanced supercritical units uh, that are about 25% more efficient than today's uh, electric generators, but about probably 35, 40% more efficient than the Chinese. Uh, one of the ways we would help the Chinese is allow them to change out their old coal plants with ultra-modern coal plants, which would then give them low-cost energy and also high efficiency, which would cut their greenhouse gases. Now, you would probably say, well, isn't that somewhat self-defeating if we're trying to increase the manufacturing in this country? Well, if you let them have the lowest cost, most efficient electricity, and we have a higher cost electricity, capitalism usually will cause the uh, production to go where it's the cheapest per unit. But right now, uh, they're not interested, and I don't really blame them, of shutting down power plants before their economic life, which is actually what this resolution proposes. You're going to move the energy economy faster than you can recoup your investment. And that's not just the electric companies, which will pass on the cost, which is normal. All the manufacturing will pass on the cost. And if your vehicle is one of those that's no longer allowed to be on the road and you still owe the bank for that car, uh, you'll be stuck there too. Bob Kappelman, I would like to go back to a little bit earlier in the discussion about the Paris Accords. Uh, obviously, this is a cause celebre for, uh, for people right now, uh, people who believe in, in the, the, that man is causing climate change. And they're pretty much invested in this group of agreements uh, that we have pulled out of. And I think... Uh, that's worth discussing. Uh, what did they? What did those accords actually promise, or that we would have to do? And how did that compare with some of the other countries in those accords? Well, in the uh, the basic requirements for the U.S. are not unlike what's in the the resolution here. It's to get your carbon dioxide down by approximately thirty uh, percent uh, by twenty thirty. And then you're going to get, uh, in that particular case, it was probably on a 50% uh, venture reduction. Um, the other countries, uh, China, India, uh, Russia, probably I think Brazil maybe, uh, were given uh, a lead way to not get started till about 2030, 2035. <clears throat> and at that point, they were uh, committed to level off. So the emissions could grow and then they would stabilize, and then they would start reducing. No hard numbers that I'm aware of in that. So you end up with a kind of a one-sided deal uh, in a country where already we're having trouble uh, competing uh, because of the, the different trade requirements, which most people are aware of the fact that Chinese uh, – Chinese have a special trade relation. They're treated as a developing country, and that gives them special uh, requirements or special um, dispensation 
in the trade agreements, uh, which some politicians, including the president, are saying, well, wait a minute, if you've got the second largest economy, are you really just a poor developing country or are you the second most powerful industrial force in the world? Uh, maybe you ought to be treated like an equal. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Yeah, when I play the hoochie-coochie man, I get joy in everything. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning.